have seen so far in this chapter the uh, Pentecost, and then we've seen uh, Peter's message that he preached. We kind of unpacked that a little bit last week and talked about some of the things he was uh, bringing forth there. And uh, now we're going to see the reaction of the people. We've already saw one reaction that uh, some of them mocked and called him a bunch of drunks when they saw, when they got uh, filled with the Spirit there. But uh, Peter, of course, refuted that. And now we'll see the reaction of the people that reacted positively. From this first message that was preached in the church age, we see that it had divine power on it. No man, uh, including Peter, as great a preacher as he no doubt was, he could, could he produce the effects that we will see and the folks will read about tonight? A man can't do that. Now, you can get a cult following, you can get uh, radical people to follow sometimes, but uh, no, no miracle uh, or no ability of man can affect a heart like was, was affected in this early church here. This was the work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to look at this tonight, and we'll use this kind of as a guide for even us in our church as well. Verse 41 is where we're going to begin. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added uh, to the, unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. Uh, and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, uh, breaking bread from house to house, and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Father, I pray this to, this evening. We've read this passage. We've talked about this passage before, but may we see something anew and fresh tonight that will be a help to us, and may we apply uh, the same spirit into our hearts as they did at that time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't want to get into any big arguments here uh, this evening about this certain subject and how I entitled this message. I entitled it a little tongue-in-cheek, but not that much tongue-in-cheek. I know that uh, technically we have been called Baptists since the early 1600s, uh, but that was a name that doctrinal, that was given to people that doctrinally came uh, from the New Testament. Uh, I've made clear before, and we've shown from history, Baptists are not Protestants. We did not break off of the Catholic Church. We were protesting long before the Reformation ever came along, and so Baptists are not uh, Protestants, uh, even though many people would call us that. Uh, in fact, we had a disagreement with the Reformation movement, uh, the very premise of their movement, and I still uh, have a disagreement with the Reformation movement, that is the, uh, that they wanted to reform the Catholic Church, where Baptists preached many years prior to that and continually through it that uh, Catholics need salvation, not Reformation. They need uh, to be delivered from a religion and into the Christian faith. And so tonight... Uh, I've entitled this message, The People of the First Baptist Church. And we'll just leave it at that as we go on here. Uh, who were these people in this church? And we'll look very quickly. I'm just going to read them all to you here, and then we'll go through each one individually. They were a saved people, a separated people. They were a steadfast people, a sanctified people, a spectacular people, a single people, 
sacrificial people, a spiritual people, a singing people, and a successful people. So you listen fast, we'll get through all of them here in the next few minutes here. Starting out with saved people. Look at what it says in verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Uh, Peter's sermon brought forth instant results here. There was a mighty moving of the Holy Spirit in the audience when Peter preached. The rest of the chapter describes what happened and we'll go through the verses of these people that came to the Lord Jesus Christ. As always, always is the case, not all people responded. But the Bible says, they that gladly received, and then in the rest of the chapter is devoted to those folks, the ones that received the word. Not all will receive our witness. Not all will receive the gospel. Some will reject. Uh, some will put off until tomorrow. There's really, uh, two, there's really three answers you get uh, when you're witness to somebody or you uh, give them a gospel track. You have yes, you have no, or you have later. Many more times it's later or don't want to go into it at that time. But those that did receive it, not only received Peter's word, but the Bible says they received it gladly. Uh, I, even tonight, several people mentioned uh, their thankfulness for their salvation. You know, when we get saved and we recognize what God does in our hearts, we can be glad about it, amen? We can be excited about the fact that we uh, can be Christians, God's children. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit regenerates and does a work in the human heart. So they were a saved people. They were also a separated people. The Bible goes on to say not only did they gladly receive his word, but they were baptized. Now, notice the order of conversion here. Uh, this is important. We realize that they first gladly received the truth concerning Christ, and then they were baptized. In other words, they got saved, and then they were baptized. I just had a call recently from a friend of mine heard that I was going to Michigan to uh, preach a meeting there, and, and uh, we had worked together several years ago, and, and uh, so she asked if I would be willing to baptize her grandson had just been born and I don't know he's a couple months old and wanted to know if I would baptize him and so I was able to go through this uh, explanation I don't baptize babies and this is why I'm, and I was able to even give the gospel again been given to her many times but uh, this is the order we are saved then we're baptized a baby can't be baptized because a baby can't be saved they, they can't understand they can't comprehend and so until a young person can accept the gospel, receive it, accept Christ as their Savior, uh, they are not baptized. Now, from the very first day of church history that we see here, baptism was a believer's baptism. Now, I said before, I don't think the church started on this day. I believe it started in Matthew 16, but this is really the first acting day of this. This is the day that they had the big membership drive. Many people saved. This was the organization of what was started in Matthew 16. No other kind of baptism has ever been considered in the New Testament. Uh, there is no such thing as baby baptism. There's no such thing as regenerational baptism. Uh, it's very clear uh, in, in Acts chapter 8, I believe, is where uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, where that story is, very clear uh, that, that uh, first came salvation, then baptism. Peter later, in First uh, Peter 3.21, said the answer of a good conscience toward God. Only a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ can have that, and they are the ones that are candidates uh, of baptism. It was a bold step in this day, at this time, 
for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Now, for many people, this meant that they would be bringing on themselves uh, persecution. For many of these folks, this would mean they would be separated from their families uh, and their friends. They would be denied further involvement in the synagogue and in Jewish society. It was a big deal for them to get baptized. And so that separated them from their friends, their loved ones, and their many of their neighbors. It begs the question, how much of what we do would we do if the if it separated us from our families if it brought on persecution you know it would really uh, show who the real servants of God are wouldn't it so what would we do if we were uh, put in the hot seat there the cost of baptism in this time was very high in some areas of the world it still is there's a pastor in Texas named Jim Dennison he uh, once served as a summer missionary in East Malaysia and he writes about a an experience he had, he preached a service, and during uh, during one of these services he was preaching, a teenage Malaysian girl came uh, to, well, she had been saved the week before, she came uh, to be baptized. Uh, she was just glowing with excitement, and the love of Christ uh, was all over her face for that day when she got baptized and gave testimony of her salvation. She was just excited about being a follower of Christ. Dennison noticed that there was uh, on the side of the little one-room church there, there was uh, uh, some luggage laid aside there against the wall, and he asked a church member whose that was, and the member said, well, that's that girl's luggage, because when she got baptized today, her father has, and most fathers in that uh, religion said if they if they choose baptism, they are kicked out of the home. And so when she was baptized, she sacrificed everything. Again, I ask how many of us uh, would do that if we have to sacrifice it all. What a challenge to us who stop today at the slightest difficulties from doing uh, what is right. So we can, we can understand here that it's just, it says it quickly. They received his word uh, gladly. They were baptized. It says it fast. It, we can read over it fast, but we understand that this meant something then. These were a separated people. They reached others by showing distinction, not replication. That's very important for us to remember in today's day and age where we see churches and Christians more often replicating the world than showing a distinction uh, from the world. We at Bible Baptists have no interest in sounding, looking, and being like the world to reach the world. I don't believe, I think that's a very flawed principle of trying to reach people. We show people a distinction from the world. So we, we preach and we teach and we believe that sin, we talked about it this morning, sin doesn't bring happiness, sin doesn't bring fulfillment, so then why do we want to get as close as we can uh, to try to reach them? Let's show them there's a better way, and uh, that's, I believe, the more successful way of reaching folks. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So, it might seem like foolishness, but that's how we reach people still. The answer, then, is not to appear wise in the world, but just use the foolishness of the gospel, and it will reach folks. It did certainly work for those of us that are here. Uh, number three, there were a steadfast people. The Bible says now that they, in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, there's four things that marked the infant church here that we see in this passage. It was marked by truth. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In this early church, 
foremost in their minds was doctrine. That was the truth of the gospel. It was no accident and is no accident that this uh, comes first in our Bible because it always should come first. In all subsequent books of the Bible, uh, precept always comes before practice. We look at doctrine and then we look at fellowship. We look at doctrine and we look at the other things. And so the belief of the Bible, the and doctrine simply is a set of beliefs, those things ought to be very set in our minds. Uh, experience must always be tested by doctrine, not doctrine by experience. And yet today we, <coughs> we often see experience-led Christianity. Uh, I don't know how many times... I've heard the statement, well, I, I know that's what the Bible said, but this is what happened to me. Or, I know that's what the Bible says, but this is my experience. Uh, there's no but when the Bible says, that's it. And uh, so we need to keep that first and foremost. You see, your belief system will always precede and determine your activity. What you believe will lead to how you act, and that, that's why it makes so important. John Owen was a uh, a preacher back in the 1600s, and uh, he said this, the foundation of true holiness and true Christian worship is the doctrine of the gospel that we are to believe. So then, Christian doctrine is neglected, forsaken, or corrupted. True holiness and worship will also be neglected, forsaken, and corrupted. In other words, he's saying, we forsake doctrine, then we're not going to be worshiping, we're not going to be doing the right things uh, in our actions. And so doctrine is very important. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Number two, it was marked by fellowship. Uh, they uh, followed in doctrine and in fellowship. Fellowship is the, like the song says, that tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. That's what fellowship is. Uh, we ought to love fellowship. I don't know about you, but I love fellowship. I like being around God's people. I look forward to being around you guys every uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then many times in between for uh, many others that uh, have things going on. I like fellowship. Uh, this, this is something that we ought to enjoy. Uh, I like the fact that when uh, church is over, we don't all clog the doors rushing out you know we spend some time here we have some uh we, we fellowship with one another that's a blessing uh, by the way that's a great sign of a healthy church when people stick around and talk to each other once in a while have you ever been in a church where everybody hates one another uh, that's not a sign of a healthy church is it and so uh, thankful for that this new church body would be the beginning of what still uh, goes today a new family a new community this is a uh, the family of God I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God it's a blessing for us to have fellowship with one another John wrote in 1st John 3 14 we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren a church is the body of Christ union with the head means union with the members and so as we grow closer to Christ we also will grow closer to one another it was also marked by the table uh, they continued the Bible says in the breaking of bread specifically here is talking about the Lord's Supper remember Jesus request before he went to the cross this do in remembrance of me, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. This is one of the two ordinances. Now, in baptism, we show our death with Christ. We're buried in the likeness of his death. In the Lord's Supper, we remember his death for us. 
And these are both very important for us to do uh, with these two ordinances. It was also marked by prayers. They continued steadfastly. It finishes there in prayers. We now have instant access to the throne of grace. We can bring our needs, we can bring our burdens to the Lord directly. What a blessing that is. Uh, And it continues even to this day as well. Now, number four, they were sanctified people. Look at verse number uh, 43. And fear came upon every soul. I find it interesting, reading this verse, the church does not instill much fear today. The church today is really one of low, really low standards. It's our society is kind of going that direction. Lying, uh, questionable doctrine, deception, even perversion. Uh, They're not attacked like they should be from the pulpits in the churches across America today. Uh, We really do not live by, or and when I say we, hopefully not including our church, but churches in America, they don't really live by the, the command, be ye holy for I am holy. That's not preached very much today. Holiness is not a popular topic to preach. Uh, we seem to forget that the believer's body, don't uh, we need to remember, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We forget that the church is the bride of Christ. It's important that we keep these things clean, that we do right, uh, that we are holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That is still a command. It's still an expectation, and we ought to preach it and teach it from our pulpits and our classrooms. Now, the infant church was holy. This is brand new here. Uh, The hand of God was on this church. It was marked by purity. It was not yet corrupted by division. Now, it would be in 1 Corinthians, Paul's dealing with it. In Ephesians, Paul's dealing with it. In Colossians, Paul's dealing with it. Uh, Everywhere Paul's writing, in Philippians, we're going through on Wednesday night, he deals there and names some people, two two ladies actually. Stop fighting. (laughs) You uh, get along. And so he has to deal with that. But here... So far, they're not yet corrupted by any division. It's new. Uh, the Holy Spirit's on them. Uh, the, and so the Bible says fear came upon every soul. I believe those who were in church feared lest they defile and disgrace the body. I think people without the church feared uh, that they would not, they, they were very careful to know they would not join in until they were cleansed by the precious blood of Christ. See, the holiness of the early church made an impact, and they did so through their holiness. C.S. Lewis said, How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When they meet the real thing, it is irresistible. Isn't that the truth? Yet, so, like we were talking about this morning, people's perception of, of uh, the Bible, that it's a, it's a book that squashes all fun and uh, a God that squashes all laughter. I remember growing up uh, in, in, in the church I grew up in, we were not allowed to laugh. There was never laughter. Everybody was very solemn and it was very, uh, it would have been considered very inappropriate to crack a joke or to say something uh, humorous from the pulpit. It was all uh, very, very solemn and very serious, which meant uh, I didn't like going, <laughs> nor did uh, many other people, but uh, we did it because we felt we had to. I remember when I was about uh, seven years old, I was complaining on a Sunday morning that I didn't want to go to church. We went 
we were faithful church members, went every other Sunday morning. And uh, that was the only time they had church. But uh, we were re- getting ready for church. And I didn't want to go. It's, a, it's about a three to four hour deal. It is dry. It is boring. You sit on a backless bench and you just, and for a kid, it didn't, wasn't something I looked forward to. And so mom, of course, uh, reprimanded me, said I shouldn't talk like that. You go get dressed, get ready. And as I'm leaving the room, I heard my dad uh, say to my mom, uh, I don't really like to go to church either. And I was like, aha, I heard him. And I pointed that out. Of course, she reprimanded him too. Uh, nobody liked to go to a church like that. Uh, we, there, nobody wants to go somewhere where it's dull and drab. And uh, holiness is exciting. You get around people who love God. Man, it's an exciting thing. And it's a, a good thing to spend time with those folks. Uh, they were a sanctified people. They were also a spectacular people. Look what the Bible says here. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. The early infant church here had more than purity. It had power. Now, what was included here with the apostles was still the power to work miracles. The Holy Spirit poured out his power on these men. Uh, Remember, he was not yet grieved at this point, at least by uh, the church in general. Uh, This is brand new still. All around, uh, people heard about the miracles, the healings. It was almost like Jesus was back. And you know what? In a way, he was uh, through his bride, the church. The gospel is being preached by them. Uh, He was not in a fleshly body, but he was what Paul in Ephesians 5.32 called the mystical body, and that is the church. And so uh, they were a spectacular people. They were a single people. Look at what the Bible says next here. In all that believed were together and had all things common. Each member cared for every other member. Here we see an answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17, 21 through 22. Would you turn there? Keep your finger in Acts 2, but turn over to John chapter 17, and we'll look at verse number 22. John 17. Actually, let's start at verse number 21. Here's Jesus' prayer. That they may all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one. There it is again. Even as we are one. Verse 23. I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one. There it is again, one. That the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. They were a single people. The oneness of the early church, I I think this is important to stress, was organic. means it wasn't contrived. It wasn't a slick marketing campaign. It wasn't a mission statement. I don't have anything against mission statements. In fact, uh, I have one. I, I don't. I think it's good to operate off that. But this wasn't what was happening here. It wasn't a planning committee. Uh, this was an organic, uh, not an organized oneness. There was a spontaneous coming together of like-minded believers. They were a hundred percent in love with the Lord. They were in love with each other, and they were in love with lost souls. There was a mutual caring and concern for other believers. What a great picture! Now you might be thinking, as I think when I read this, Pastor, why can't it be like that today? I wish it could be like that today, and and many times it is, but uh, anything that is in the hands of imperfect people 
never lasts long. It's never perfect. And uh, this, this, is a, this is a great time. I'm sure in years subsequent to this moment, many times people thought back, man, remember those early days when we first started? Remember the day of Pentecost, how exciting it was, how fresh it was, how new it was? Uh, this was definitely the honeymoon of Christianity here, but guess what? It's in the hand of imperfect people, and we tend to mess those things up. Uh, so wherever people are, uh, there's going to be sin, and uh, so we do still strive for it, amen? We pray for it, and uh, we work hard for it, and that's our goal that's set before us here today. Number seven, they were a sacrificial people. The Bible says in verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and parted to all men as every man had need. Now, I'm not going to get political tonight, but I will enough to say just to clarify this verse, because this verse has been used by many to promote communism. This is not a promotion of communism here. Uh, the communist motto is from each according to his ability to each according to his need. It sounds nice, but as we know, uh, in the hands of really imperfect people, it has been the death of millions, not the prosperity of millions. And so there's one glaring problem here when trying to tie the communist motto to this verse, as some people try to do. Uh, the sharing here of the early church was motivated by Holy Spirit love. It was not a totalitarian system that was demanding people to do it against their will. Big, big difference there, right? You want to help your neighbor? That's great. That's fine. Help your neighbor. Uh, if the government comes in and makes you help your neighbor, it's a little different situation, isn't it? So this is not, uh, this is not communism being uh, put their stamp of approval on here at all. There was a street preacher one time who was being heckled by a communist in the crowd. And it, it, he was, while he was talking back to this preacher, he pointed to a drunkard who was in dressed in rags and a uh, homeless man uh, just that uh, was walking by or, or was close by. And he pointed at that man. He said, given the chance, communism would put a new suit on that man. Now, what would your God do for him? And the preacher wisely answered, given the opportunity, God would put a new man in that suit. Amen? That's a much better thing than putting a new suit on the man. And so this was the that was the secret here of the early uh, church's mutual sharing here. It wasn't a government welfare program. This was Christ's body at work. It was the hand caring for the foot, the eye caring for the ear, and such and so on. This was love. This was not law. And so there's a big difference there. It was a compassion. It wasn't compulsion. And so there is a, uh, we don't want to ever tie these two together. The communist ideal breaks down when it leaves out God and relies on force. So then there were also spiritual people. Look uh, on in verse 46. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house uh, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Spirituality uh, is not something we ought to put on on Sundays. Uh, those who were in love with the Lord, they went to the temple, but they also did it uh, day by day. Uh, later, they would be taught that the temple would be obsolete and worship would be obsolete. And S uh, Stephen actually specifically taught them that. Uh, but the spiritual person will do what these people did. The spiritual person will seek out a gathering place of God's people. Spiritual people will want to go to church. You know, I, I spend a lot of my try time 
trying to talk people into coming to church. But you know what the truth of the matter really is? If you love God, you'll want to go to his house. I mean, this pretty much comes down to that. If you love the Lord, you'll want to go to his house. You want to be faithful to his... Uh, you, if you love God's people, you want to gather with them when they get together. Uh, that spirituality uh, will then spill over in the mundane aspects of life. It will bring people together into a spirit of hospitality. The joy of the Lord will also spill over uh, into other areas. We can do all things with a gladness of heart. That's what I believe we're seeing in this verse. They were spiritually minded. Uh, the Bible says that they continued daily with one accord in the temple. Uh, they did eat their food with gladness and singleness of heart. They did all that they did, and they were generally a happier people. The best Christian does not separate his secular life with his church life. Uh, the mature Christian does not live one way on Sunday at church and live another way uh, through the week. He does not talk one way at church or around God's people and talk another way uh, when he's uh, hanging out with his buddies at work. I'm simply saying the Christian is a Christian all the time. Amen? And God does not ever employ secret agents. I don't ever see it in the Bible anyway. Uh, I've talked to a few people that I believe uh, they think or desire to be a secret agent for the Lord, and that's no place in the in the God's work for that. Uh, so it'll all be a life of Christianity. Number nine, they were a singing people. They the Bible says here, verse forty-seven, praising God and having favor with all the people. This was an identifier of the early church. The people were happy. It's no wonder that the church grew and it grew fast. Because people like to be around joyful people. Don't you like to be around happy people? Uh, you know, if you, if you meet or are regularly around just a regular old sourpuss, you don't look forward to that. It's not a fun time to get together with a complaining, sour-type person. You like to be around happy people. We enjoy to be around folks that smile and, and have joy. And how sad today uh, it is that there's often more joy found at the corner bar than there is at the church. And, and we need to have joy here. This ought to be a place of joy and showing the love of Christ. Uh, Bruce Larson <laughs> tells this story. There was a conference at a Presbyterian church in Omaha. Uh, people, before they sat down or as they came in, every person was handed a helium balloon. And uh, then they were told, uh, you'll, you'll, we'll tell you what it's for, you just hang on to this. And so after everybody sat down, uh, the service started, and they were told that at any time through the service, if you, you remember, this is a Presbyterian church, they're not allowed to say amen, they can't say hallelujah, praise the Lord, anything like that. Said, anything happens and you feel joy in your heart, release your balloon. So throughout the service, randomly balloons would go up uh, as, as the service went on, but after the service over, was over, over one-third of the balloons were still in people's hands. And the uh, point of the story, that I, the, the, at the last line of that little story I read, is let your balloon go. Have joy. Uh, rejoice in something. You know, we have something to rejoice in no matter how uh, dark our days are. We have something to be grateful for. Uh, these folks had joy, and you know what happened? People flocked to them. People liked to be around happy people. There was no complaining, no criticizing, no envy, no strife. Not yet. Uh, there was joy. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit was evident. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, 
uh, meekness and temperance. And they had this in abundance, and it was a draw to people. And then finally, they were a successful people. Bible ends the chapter, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. And we, we can't miss this. This is the only way anyone ought to be added to our church. The Lord adding the people to the church. The Lord adds to its members those that are saved. The Bible says in Psalm 127, 1, uh, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I want God to build this church. Uh, the church does not grow, excuse me, by high-pressure evangelism. The church does not grow by easy believism professions of faith. Uh, it grows as the Lord adds people. Now, this morning we were down a little bit, a lot of people traveling, but uh, for instance, last Sunday, there was 122 people here last Sunday morning. Uh, I think it's 96 this morning or something like that. But uh, last Sunday especially, we had a lot of visitors. We had people here that uh, I had, and I specifically invited, I don't know how many, but quite a few people this week uh, to come to our church. None of them were here. But then there were other folks here that I had nothing to do with, and uh, they came. Um, I'm not aware of any member that we have right now or regular attender to our church that comes because somebody knocked on their door and gave them the gospel, invited them to church. Uh, here's a shocker. I don't know of any member in our church that, or regular attender that comes to our church that came uh, or does come because of our bus ministry. We put a lot of resources into our bus ministry. We had a family that came, and the family actually joined. Remember the Hernandez family? But then they got out of the will of God and moved down south. But uh, we, we had a family. But right now, we don't have anybody like that. As far as I know, there are no members or regular attenders that are in our church because they were pumping gas one day or in the grocery store one day, and somebody in our church came up and gave them a gospel tract and invited them to church. So what are you saying, Pastor? Are we wasting our time? A thousand times no. That's, we're not, do we stop knocking on doors? No. Do we stop giving out tracts? No. Do we stop uh, uh, inviting folks out? Absolutely not. Uh, we do these things out of obedience, and then God brings people in. Which is just, uh, last week I was talking to Brother Howard uh, Nielsen. He's, he was all excited. He said, this is our one-year anniversary. And he said, they've been coming to our church for a year. And uh, he was excited about the time that they've spent here. Uh, I didn't knock on their door. I don't think any of you did either. But God brought them our way, and they've been coming pretty faithfully. Uh, they, I don't know, four years ago now that I just got a random email from some weird guy named Herb. And now he's been here for the last uh, three years, coming uh, pretty faithfully to our church. Uh, I, he, he, here's another one. You know how hard I work to get college kids here? Last week, well, the week before and the week before, really every week, I'm, I'm texting them, I'm emailing them, I meet them. If I see a youngish-looking person uh, out and about, uh, invite them uh, to our church, tell them we got a college and career class. And, uh, and last Sunday, not today, but last Sunday, um, there wasn't one person that I tried to get, aside from our faithful, which we have some faithful ones that come, but there wasn't one college student that I had desperately tried to get out uh, that came, but here were 12 uh, college students. There were the Bible study group called Valor from 
SDSU, and that and and God brought twelve of them in. Isn't that a blessing? I mean, it was an exciting thing. Uh, I had knew and keep in contact with a couple of them, but uh, here the Lord brings them in. My point is that I figured out a long time ago that God's a lot better at this than I am at bringing people in. That does not mean we stop being obedient in our witnessing. It does not mean we stop being obedient at, in corporate witnessing where we have a, a time set apart to go out and, and uh, follow up on people. It does not mean we stop giving out tracts. It doesn't mean we stop inviting. I believe with all my heart that God builds a church because people are doing that, not uh, that that is wasted time. So I believe God blesses faithfulness. I believe God blesses obedience. The Lord added daily. He's been adding daily to the church a few here, a few there, ever since this day. He's been faithful in it. In the meantime, let us be faithful in the work he has left us to do. It's a great picture, a great snapshot of a local church and what it should be. Uh, did this church, uh, as they started out, everything seemed to be going well. Are they going to have problems? Yes, they're going to have problems because they have people. The only perfect church I ever heard of was one with just pews, no people. Uh, but as soon as you add people into it, and then you're going to have problems, and that's just the nature of things because we're all imperfect. And, uh, and I, I know I'm imperfect, and so we will have those issues. But we certainly ought to strive for the spirit that these folks had here in Acts chapter 2, shouldn't we? And let's uh, make an impact for God. I believe that he will certainly use our joy, our witness, our faithfulness. Uh, he'll use that and then add to the church as uh, he will. So let's give him the glory for it. Father.